All right, welcome back. It's Fully Live Athlete Pastor Channel. This is Justin speaking, and we are on Online Bible Reading Club, day 43. All right, so Leviticus 13 and Matthew 26, 26 through 50. So we've got a 25-verse block in the middle of that chapter, and it's not even the end of the chapter. It's a rather lengthy chapter as well. But Leviticus 13 is a long chapter. Let's get into it. Now, the whole focus of the chapter is on skin conditions, especially what we know is leprosy. Uh, would not just include the disease, but uh, all kinds of uh, skin conditions. As you think about this, uh, what the priest would do when someone had a condition like this is he would examine uh, the person with a condition, and then he would declare the person unclean. Now, when we think of unclean, we think, hey, this person needs a shower. Uh, we think of hygienic, you know, like somebody who's really funky and, and, and stinky uh, with, you know, dirty. Well... That's not exactly what we're talking about here. We're talking about ritual or religious uh, statuses. So think of three, three statuses. You've got unclean when you are leprous, you have a condition, you're declared unclean, and you must go through a process to become clean. Now once you become clean, that's not the end. The third uh, status is holy. And then when you think about what we've read about in Leviticus 11 and 12, God himself is holy, and he, want, he calls his people to be holy. So the people are not holy. They're unholy. Uh, and God is going to transfer them, transfer them, or transform them into being holy. So consider three categories, unclean, clean, and holy. And what Leviticus is after is teaching us that we are designed as God's people to move from a state of uncleanness to a state of holiness. We're going to dwell in the midst of God and enjoy His presence and enjoy fellowship with Him and the Spirit. That is our destiny in Christ, ultimately. So consider that. Leviticus 13. Now, we see this, is that our, our great problem, which is mirrored by our external condition, we, get the, we pick up these conditions in our life, you know, just through living, uh, like skin conditions and whatnot, that make us unclean. The real problem is we're spiritually unclean. Think about Psalm 51. David confesses his sin with Bathsheba. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, conceived in sin. Purify me with hyssop that I might be clean. Wash me that I shall be whiter than snow. See, David knew Leviticus. He says, Wash me with hyssop that I might be clean. This is part of the ritual uh, cleaning process that needed to happen. Uh, and so when we think about spiritual lepers, uh, that I need to be cleansed spiritually, uh, understand that the priest had no power to make someone clean. They just had the power to recognize uncleanness and unholiness, right? Uh, they could declare someone to be clean uh, when they recognize it, but the law and the priest couldn't change anybody. That's a huge spiritual concept. What justifies us is not our own efforts through doing the law, not works of the law, but it's righteousness through faith. When Matthew 8, if you go back and look at Matthew 8, go back to review there, uh, Jesus encountered a leper after one of his sermons. And the leper says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus told the man to go show himself to the priest. Uh, again, the priest couldn't change him. He could only recognize what Jesus was able to do. And that is a huge point for us. What changes us and makes us whole is faith in Christ. We are transformed through faith in Christ. We confess our sins, we repent to Him, 
believe him and follow him because he is able to make us clean. Now, as you move to the New Testament, you'll see that we are now going to enter into a new stage of redemptive history. Uh, it's always been through faith that we have been justified. But now we're going to see that Jesus is going to transform at the Passover meal that he shares with his disciples in Matthew 26, 26 and following. Uh, he's going to transform that and he's going to say, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins in order to make you clean, to make you holy. Uh, he's going to say to him, to them, this is it. Now, every, every sacrifice we said, we've seen up from Genesis three where God takes an animal, slaughters it and clothes the first parents up until these are bloody sacrifices uh, would be a sin for us to participate in blood sacrifices anymore because Christ is the final and perfect sacrifice for our sins. So you see a big, huge redemptive historical shift in Matthew 26. Bloody sacrifices, no more. And now we have these clean sacrifices, or clean uh, sacraments, which is the Lord's Supper and baptism. So because the substitutionary penal atonement has been accomplished, we are no longer obligated to those things. Uh, let me give you... Um, uh, a brief outline of why I think that the bread did not turn into the uh, actual body of Christ and the blood did not turn into his actual blood. Um, when he says, this is my body, right? Broken for you, right? When he says this, it doesn't, like, it doesn't mean that the bread becomes his body, right? Because his body's sitting right there. His body is, is not, he, he doesn't morph into the, into the bread. It doesn't magically become part of him, right? You see that. The bread is bread still, okay? The obvious issue with the doctrine of what they call transubstantiation is to insist that Jesus is literally declaring that his body was the bread and his wine was his blood. Um, and so that would be to ignore that Jesus uses figurative language. Like, think about that. The literal interpretation of figurative language is to understand that he's using figurative language. Uh, think about when he says in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. We do not say that Jesus became a vine at that point and that the people literally became branches. Um, we do not say that. When, when John 11, 11 happens and, and Jesus says that Lazarus has fallen asleep, he did not mean that Jesus had fallen asleep. He meant that, Jesus, uh, that Lazarus was dead. Read the chapter. There's tons of examples uh, if you think about, you know, in dealing with sin, uh, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He doesn't mean literally blind yourself or literally disable yourself with your hand being cut off. He means flee temptation. At the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus' body and his blood were represented. Now, um, it's puzzling how the Roman Catholic Church believes that bread becomes Jesus' body. Uh, we believe in our church in the real spiritual presence of Jesus at the Lord's Supper. Jesus' body is in heaven. It is a true human body. It doesn't get disseminated into bread throughout time and space. However, the Lord's Supper is not a bare memorial. It's not some bare uh, remembrance uh, where Jesus uh, doesn't even have anything to do with it. He is spiritually there, though, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Lord's Supper. He can, we can be brought in a spiritual communion with Jesus. So he says, he says in the Matthew verse, at the very end of the chapter, he says that I will not drink it again until I drink it with you at the coming of the kingdom. 
So this, again, points us, as we've been looking at in Leviticus, all the, all the sacrifices lead to fellowship and peace with God, enjoying Him. And the very end of the Bible ends in a marriage feast, uh, the Supper of the Lamb, as that's where we're going to dwell with God forever. Well, how does He get there? How are we going to get there? Well, it's through great betrayal. It's through great weakness. It's through being overwhelmed. When you think about what the priest's task was to do in Leviticus, it's to guard the, guard the tabernacle. Now, he's not guarding it for God's sake. He's guarding it for our sake. Because if we encounter the holiness of God as unclean and unholy, then we will feel the wrath of God and be consumed by his wrath on sin. The fire will break out as it did in Leviticus 10. We just read about that a couple days ago. As you think about that, what the priest's job is to do is not guard God from us, us barging in and getting him, is to guard us from thoughtlessly, carelessly, and, and with our uncleanness and unholiness, enter into the presence of God and be consumed. Well, that's exactly what Jesus was getting ready to do. He was getting ready to put on our sin and, and, and enter into the God's presence in order that we might put on his holiness and righteousness so that we could enter into his presence and ultimately tear down the wall between that separates uh, God and man and that we live in fellowship, which we're made for. That's what God's doing. And it says in, in, in 26, 36 in Matthew, that he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That's what it felt like for the Lord Jesus to wear our sin, to put it on and to be unclean. And as you consider that, consider the amazing grace of God that grace truly is amazing that we get to dwell with him forevermore in eternal, in eternal life with him. Clean, holy, and in the presence of the Lord forevermore. All right, that's the end today. I hope that's helpful to you. Matthew 26, we're going we're gonna to pick up where Jesus has been arrested in the next chapter. And we'll, we'll walk through those verses with you. And we'll, we'll, we'll figure out in Leviticus 14... How is it that someone comes back into the, to the camp when they've been declared unclean? Okay, there you go. If you're watching this far, like it, subscribe, hit the notifications. We'll see you next time. Keep reading the scriptures.